Today, we are in the last of two more weeks of, of this walking conversation, the summer of walking. And if you've been a part of it the last number of weeks, um, there's just been some different themes that we've focused on um, and we've talked about that have been really, I just feel like they've made an, uh, an impact on many of you as you've been reflecting on your life, your journey, your faith, all that kind of stuff. Um, I woke up this morning with 17 pages of sermon notes. And lucky for you, it's now eight. <laughs> there was so much to this theme we're going to talk about today, which is the theme of exile and displacement. Now, um, one of the things you just, just got to understand is that um, a lot of times when we look at, or we've been taught sometimes to read the Bible with ourselves in mind. Meaning, many of us grew up in a tradition where it was like, hey, we, we think you should read the Bible every day and then ask yourself the question, how does this apply to me? Which is a very Western, individualistic, self-centered way to read the Bible. But that's just kind of how we've been formed to do it. And one of the things that's really fascinating, really, when you, when you step away from that way of reading Scripture is to go, okay... This is, a, this is a story, an incredible mixture of genres and historical accounts and all these things that tell a unified story that leads to Jesus. And some of that story has real huge themes in it. And exile is a huge theme of it. Not only are there are events when whole people groups are actually ripped out of their land and taken somewhere else. That's what we're going to talk about. But there's also these underarching kind of over underarching, overarching themes of like, what does this look like to be human in this world? And oftentimes you and I, we feel displaced in life. You just do. I was talking to someone this morning who was, um, his, his, they have someone in their, in their church that moved from another part of the country and they just feel really lonely. I don't know if you've felt like that before. Moved to a new place. Don't know anybody. Many people, on top of that, we feel a deep kind of ache and groan and even a, a sadness, like a melancholy in our lives, knowing that we don't feel really at home sometimes on earth or where we live. We often wonder why life can be so hard and why as humans we make it harder <laughs> and how people live and behave make it harder. There's an author named Walker Percy and he says that the fundamental mystery of the, of the universe is why we feel so alone in the world, why we feel so out of place. We have an exile problem. And so one of the things that's, I think, a way to look at Scripture is how um, this theme kind of works its way all the way through. Do you guys remember, um, those of you who are children of the 80s, do you remember those 3D posters? Some of you remember these. Do you remember malls? Some of you? <laughs> this place you went, and there was a lot of stores. Anyhow, um, 
you would actually have to purchase things over the counter. They didn't mail them to you. Um, but there was this one place in the mall that every single time I went to, and it was a store called Prince Plus. Do you remember Prince Plus? Yes. So, so back in the day, you know, whether you like sports posters, I mean, I had Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, Dan Marino on my wall, okay? Um, my brother had weird stuff on his wall. He had like jets, like fighter jets and like pictures of kittens. It was the weird, my brother was weird. Anyhow, so like you would, you would put things on your wall that you really liked, right? So you'd go to the Prince, you know, they give you this cheap frame and you'd put it on your wall. But they had these 3D posters. And I don't know if you've ever seen these. If you haven't seen these before, it's one of those things where you have to stare at it for a while and you'd have to kind of adjust your eyes in a weird way. And then you'd see another image like within it. Super cool. Sometimes that's how scripture is. Where you read these verses at face value and you're like, okay, that sounds interesting or that sounds so, uh, it sounds so different than my life. But then when you kind of back up and you look at it, there's a theme, there's a picture in scripture about exile, about feeling displaced. And, and we're just going to do a real quick brief history, the nerdy stuff, and then we're going to talk about it. Starts in Genesis 3, and it goes like this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. He's talking about Adam. To work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed at the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now the Hebrew Bible uh, the authors wrote Genesis believing that humanity, all of humanity, has been exiled from the Garden of Eden, exiled from perfect unity with God. It's just like the opening kind of brokenness that humanity experiences. The Hebrews believe that their exile represented all of humanity's exile of having heaven and earth kind of pulled apart, separated from each other, Heaven meaning the place of God's will, that everything, how everything flourished, how everything was supposed to be ripped away from creation itself. And the first humans, their failings are the archetype, archetype for all of humanity. And their selfish pride led them of being cast out of their home to live in a place that was foreign to them. And that became a pattern for the people of Israel. Then there's the story of Abraham and Sarah. And Abram left to leave his family. He left his family um, and his place and his home to go to a new land that God would show him. And there's, there's this account in Genesis 12. I'm going to read it. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. You know, what you know, the people you know, your people, your father's household. You go from your family to the land, a totally different place that I will show you. Abraham is about to be displaced. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So you've got this displacement of Abram, right? Goes from everything he knows to somewhere he doesn't. 
Then you've got the story of Joseph and his brothers. Sell him into exile. Sell him to some gypsies, right? And just to get rid of him. They were sick of him. He wins favor in the palace in Egypt, and then he makes these difficult choices on how to live within that system of Egypt. Then you have Moses. So fast forward a a number of, of, of centuries, you have Moses and the people of Israel. They are They're rescued out. Moses leads their kind of exodus out of Egypt. And they are in exile, wandering, homeless, landless in the wilderness. They finally make it to what they call the promised land. They start to thrive and they do some things that that are great. And then they start to encounter king after king after king that decide to do their own thing. They lead the people kind of towards some alternative worship. <laughs> um, and then what we see is this major event that the prophets talk about, that the historical writings talk about, and it's called the Babylonian exile. This happens about 587 uh, BC, um, nearly a, it happens, and it's like all of Israel at different times, different groups are pulled into exile um, because over time they forgot about God and how God had blessed them, how he, God had asked them to remember their captivity, uh, remember their, uh, their, their slavery, and, and then they were pulled into exile because of one wicked king after another. Second Chronicles talks about it like this. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Remember, that idea of wrath that we talked about is this idea of God just gave them over. This was the consequence of them just continuing to do the things that they were, they were doing. He brought, them up against, he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried them to Babylon. He carried to Babylon all the, all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile uh, to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. And if we look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1, this is Daniel's account of that exile. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged. Daniel was one of the special kind of remnant officials um, that, that he was carried off because of his his 
smarts and his looks and all that kind of stuff. And the, all of Daniel, the first part of Daniel is a huge, it's a account really of Daniel living in exile as a Hebrew. Then we have the story in Nehemiah where they return from exile. After near a century, they return. And when they returned from exile to Jerusalem under Persian rule, they were given permission by the king of Persia, Cyrus, to return to their land, to return to their city. And it was in shambles. It was a wreck. But they kept clinging to the promise that God had given that their ancestor, their ancestral father, Abraham, they kept clinging to that promise. Now, if you think that exile is just a theme in the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, no, it's a, it's a, it's a theme in the New Testament too. First Peter 1, Peter writes a letter to a group of people who are, in a sense, living in exile. He writes this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then verse 17, it says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. He's, he's writing this letter to a group of people whose home is in Cappadocia, Galatia, all these places. And he calls them exiles. And my guess is they probably got that letter and they're like, Man, is Peter crazy? This is where I live. This is my home. Why is he calling me an exile? Well, you got to understand that theme, exile, foreigner, citizens of heaven, citizens of earth, those kinds of themes were very prevalent in the New Testament. They were, they were some Jewish people, but they were some, a lot of them were Gentiles, and they're like, well, this, I grew up here. I grew up in Cappadocia. This is my home. So one of the things I want to say before we continue is, does anybody have a set of Russian dolls? Yeah, yeah a couple of you. That's great. Think of this like Russian dolls. There's just different layers of, of different... You know, okay, if you don't know what Russian dolls are, let me help. So there's, there's little dolls that go within bigger dolls, okay? And there's like it looks like a almost like a bowling pin, thank you, that opens up and then there's a smaller bowling pin inside and that opens up and then you track it with me. That's kind of like this theme of exile. The, the forms, the, the, the thought forms they had was really clear. That even in the Roman kind of conquered world, you knew if someone was there by their own will or not. And whether you were born there or not, there was a sense in which, as a follower of Jesus, you were in exile. You lived in a place that was not your true home. And God still uses this theme of exile in the life of Israel to move them, to things, move them away from the things they used to trust in into something different. And he uses that with us. This idea that we're stripped of of the things that we're really like, we used to think were really important. But God is using that stripping away to get us to trust in him more. 
There's a quote from a guy named Rick McKinley. He says this, Exile was a period when the promises of the past and the shape of the future had to be evaluated in terms of a new experience. Without the traditional self-validating structures such as the monarchy, the land, and the temple. So the people of Israel didn't have their land anymore. They didn't have the temple anymore. They didn't have all those things to cling to. They actually had to do a bit of work with their new experience to go, okay, how are we the people of God now without all that stuff? And they had to do that in exile. It stripped them of these fundamental foundational identity markers in their life of the land, the temple, all of those things. And the prophets kept telling them, encouraging them like, hey, you're going to go back one day. You're going to, like, here's some assurance for you. Despite what you're experiencing, God has not abandoned you. He was still with them. But what does that mean for us? None of us have really experienced, like, a major exilic event, right? None of you have been carted off. And, I mean, you might have married someone that says, I want to move to Colorado. And you're like, What? We got some Michiganders in here, some Oklahomans, some right, right, Brandy. You feel like you're in exile, Brandy? No. Is Oklahoma exile now? Yeah. What I'm arguing is that to follow Jesus is actually to experience exile. That's just part of it. John 17 says, you know, John Jesus says that you're. You're in the world, but you're not of it. We, we hear that a lot, but what does that really mean? Exile is the place where we live out our faith in Jesus, and it's a place where our allegiance is kind of tested and practiced and worked through. Because we're always arguing that following Jesus is more than just praying a prayer, right? It always begins with surrender and yielding, but following Jesus requir- requires us and actually calls us to live and act faithfully here in a place that's not our home. But I want to be really clear what I mean by that. Because I think a lot of times we get lost in that idea. I think there's been some theology that a lot of us have kind of bought into that's this idea that this place isn't our home and one day we'll be ripped out of it and taken somewhere We'll take in somewhere, and, and, and that's our home somewhere else. That's not what Scripture says. You're not going to be evacuated and ejected out of here. And there will be some ethereal, beautiful, floaty heaven experience for you. That's not what Scripture says. Let me, let me read you this. Actually, no, we're going to pull this quote. We're not going to do that Lee Beach quote. Quotes are, they're great sometimes. Let's get existential. Let's get a little bit more imaginative right now. Even though you and I are right here in this place, in this town is home and your home you think about your home as home there's something wrong and incomplete 
there's something that's not quite right. For some of you, you can see the glaring brokenness all around you. And there is glaring brokenness all around us. But there's also this tacit ache in us for completeness, right? Do you feel that? Everything cosmically, from a cosmic perspective, to a DNA level has to transform. And until that happens, you and I are gonna you you and I are gonna feel a sense of incompleteness. Some of you are like, I don't like this existential conversation. You and I are estranged from this world as much as we're at home in it. Is what I'm trying to tell you. You are at home. You are in your home but it's not complete. It's not working how it should. That's why you and I still, no matter what, still experience that ache of longing and frustration and yearning in this life. It's almost like you might feel at times like you are in exile, you are displaced from your home, But some of you are like, I feel displaced in myself. I feel almost like an exile in my own body. Like that phrase, stranger in your own skin. Right? That even on a, like a DNA of like, I'm not working how it should. My body, this is why Paul in Romans 7 says, I want to do this, but I keep doing this. I see the, the beauty and the flourishing if I live this way, but my body, my, my mind is still got this going on in it. But here's the thing. You and I are, are not waiting to get ejected out of here into another home, to another city. Sometimes I, I meet with people all the time. I'm like, man, I, we're going to move. The uh, cost of living is better over here, and the people are better, and the and the the government runs better over here, and there's just there's a lot of that conversation in our lives. But when you get there, it's still jacked up. <laughs> but but you're like, well, maybe it's less jacked up. Okay, maybe you're not going to escape that feel of displacement and exile. This, I'm not waiting to be ejected out of here, and that's been some Christian theology over the last century. This home, this city, this planet, I'm waiting for this home, this city, this planet, for my body to be permeated by the kingdom of God. That's what... That's a part of this walk. That's a part of this journey. So words like immigrant and exile and citizens of heaven become kind of a code language in Scripture. That the Bible, the writers of Scripture use to continue this metaphor, okay, 
of the theme of exile in humanity. We're waiting for our home to be restored. That's what we're waiting for. And the word restoration is kind of why we named the church this, is this, the definition of it is the return of something to its former owner, place, or condition. To return it back. This is why Paul uses language like citizenship is in heaven. But he, said, he does this beautiful phrase in Philippians, and it, this won't be on the screen. I would read it for yourself. Citizen, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. He doesn't say we eagerly wait to get ejected to there. He says we're waiting for a savior from there. Okay, And this idea of heaven crashing into earth is this idea of this fully flourishing, how it's supposed to be, kingdom of God, God's rulership, how the garden started crashing into earth. And scripture is bookended by a garden and a garden city that we read at the end of the book of Revelation. So imagine Denver. Imagine Arvada. Imagine your home. and yourself permeated with the life and the love of the kingdom of God completely. And every neighbor loving their neighbor as themselves. That would be a pretty different Denver. That would be a pretty different neighborhood. That would be a pretty different, different home. In fact, the biblical idea, let's just, let's just be really honest about this, because I think in all of my philosophical study, theological study, religious study, the fact that the biblical idea of evil is a force that both rules the world and somehow has been ingrained in human nature, where you have systems of the world that are like corporate and militaristic and power. And then you have how my life just becomes complicit in that. But that biblical hope is that Jesus has come and broken that power. That Jesus modeled for humans what it's like to live and build the kingdom of God here on earth. That the creator became human on our behalf to break the power of death. That's, that's the one we have allegiance to. That's the only way I see forward. So the scriptures tell us that the solution to both Israel's exile problem and all of humanity's exile problem is the same solution. It's a king who will come and deliver them and reunite heaven and earth for all. And the point is not to magically escape the world to this ethereal heaven, but to work for and hope for a new heaven and a new earth here. 
That's how I see scripture unfolding, this theme of exile. In Peter's letter, he chooses to address these people as immigrants and exile. And he chooses to identify followers of Jesus as exiles in a world waiting to be redeemed. Not waiting to be burned and discarded, but waiting to be redeemed. So how we follow this up next week is we're actually going to talk about the theme of home. Of ultimate home. You've been on a long trip and you say to yourself, I can't wait to be home. That is the ache for every human being. No matter if you love your home or not. And some of you are still dealing with the wound of home as a kid. And some of you are still frustrated with your current home situation. And the reality is, is that there's this theme all the way through scripture of God saying, I am your home. I am what you long for the most. And so we attach ourselves, we surrender ourselves, we pledge our allegiance to a different king. One who redeems, one who breaks the power of evil and death. And so this morning, I want us to sit with this a bit and uh, wrestle with this a bit. And I have a couple questions for us. And then what I want you to do is just, I'm going to lead you through a time of reflection, of prayerful reflection. And the band will come up and they'll play. Um, why don't you guys just come up now? Let's just do that. Um, when have you felt, when have you felt in your life like who you are does not fit in this world? When have you felt displaced? When have you felt When have you recently felt like that ache and that longing? And you try to stuff it down if you're like me. You try to stuff it down. Try to escape it. You just Netflix that ache and that longing away. Keep yourself as busy as possible. How can we live in this world as if it's our home and yet at the same time in, in some kind of weird way know that it's not quite the home that God has intended and that he is about making that ultimate home. This morning, let me, let me pray with us uh, for, for us as, as we kind of journey through this. God, this morning we are just taking a, a moment to pay attention. And many times we find ourselves just, if we're really honest, we just want to learn new things. 
we want to learn new things about the Bible or even new things about who you are. And somehow for just a short time that just satisfies something in us. And God, we also very much long for the safety and the security of feeling certain about things. We want to know that things work. We, not, we want to know that things will resolve. And we want to know the right ways to think. But you want us to set that aside for the moment. And I feel like you want us to pay attention to the deeper parts of ourselves that are longing. Frustrated. Maybe even hurt. The writer of Ecclesiastes wrote that humans were created with eternity in their hearts. And the cynical side of us says there's no way. There's no way things can be complete and whole and healed. So God, meet us in our longing. Lead us on this walk. Give us the courage to walk into the displacement and the fear and the exile that we experience in our body, in our, in our homes, in our city. that there's much big, bigger faith to have out there than a, in a God that is, has rescued, is rescuing, and will rescue. A God who has healed, is healing, and will heal. Help us to look for it. Help us to pay attention to the ache and the longing in us in each other help us to see the broken places in this world that we can begin to heal 
because that's what you've called us to do. You've not called us to avoid it. To vote for somebody in the government to fix it. To close our eyes and pretend like it's not there. You called us to be a part of it. And so God, give us a moment of worship and reflection. We pray these things in your name. Amen.